Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14 this morning. Thank you for showing honor to God's Word and how you come back and respond. The reason why we have that timer is to help serve you so that you know how long do I have to engage in conversation, when do I need to come back and, and stop that conversation. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for um, showing preference to hearing the preached Word of God. Um, we are in the middle of our series, actually towards the latter half of our series in Ephesians. The reason why we are in the book of Ephesians, we as a church have been going through several books of the Bible at a time. We go through, went through Genesis about almost two years ago, went through Hebrews, now we're going through Ephesians. After this, we're going through the book of Acts. There is a logic behind this. Somebody asked me this morning, what's the pattern? Is there, is there a reason for, what are we, what's the big idea? Why are we in Ephesians? What, what is this all about? Where are we heading in our teaching diet? And just want to help remind you of where we've been and where we're going and why we're in this book. And we were in the book of Genesis to see that God has a purpose for mankind. We want to see who God is and who He calls man to be and that He has a plan to call man to a promised land. But also Genesis really revealed the need for a covenant redeemer. And then we saw through the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of our needs. That He is the covenant keeper where man did not keep the covenant. We saw that clearly in Genesis even with the patriarchs. Man did not keep the covenant, but God did in His Son, in, in Jesus, in Hebrews. And so we saw what does it mean to have our identity in Christ. And that's tied directly to our mission as a church. And we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And then Ephesians. Why are we in the book of Ephesians? Well, Ephesians is a book that really tells us all about who are we called to be. In light of who we are, in light of God's plan for mankind, in light of who He calls us to be, in light of the fact that we have our identity in Christ, now, how do we live this out? And Ephesians is all about living out this radical new humanity in Christ. Living out this radical new humanity. See, it's not just individuals that Jesus calls. He calls us to Himself, but He calls us to a people. And Ephesians is all about what does it look like to live together as a church, as God's people? How do you grow together as disciples of Jesus Christ? Really the second part of our mission. And we're looking forward to the book of Acts in just about a month or so where we'll be starting to to look at what does it now look like because of our identity, who we're called to be. He's called us to his church. That's one of the primary places In fact, the primary place where God reveals His purposes is in the church. And then, what does He call the church to do? He calls the church to go and make disciples. And we're going to be looking at the book of Acts in about a month or so. So I just want to give you that highlight, the overview, so you don't lose track of where you are. Well, in Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14, let's hear God's Word together. For at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed... By the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. 
Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is God's holy inspired word. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would enliven us with your words. Father, you are light, and in you is no darkness, no shadows. God, I pray that you would shine your light on our hearts, that your light would blaze in our eyes and our minds. God, I pray that we would, we would see who we have been called to be in you. God, I pray this morning for all of us who hear your word that, Lord, your word will be effective. Your word is effective. The, the fault lies not with your word, but in us, Lord. We are often dull and hard of hearing and we are slow to see. God, I pray that you would enlighten us. You are the God of light. I pray that you would shine your light this morning through your word. Make us filled with faith in you and who you've called us to be, Lord. Give us a passion for you and a passion to live for you. I pray that you would empower my words this morning by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some dreams, you ever have those dreams that stick with you for a while? Some dreams you hope don't stick with you and you can't get them out of your head. Other dreams stick with you and they, they kind of serve as a reminder of some important life lessons. Maybe they're from the God. Maybe they're just um, things you need to learn, whatever the reason. I, I can still remember a dream that I had as a young man in my early 20s. I'd invited a large group of people over to my house in the dream and, and all, all of the people were over and they were milling around the house and and somehow I remember Jesus was there as well, even though it was, it was like he was just naturally a part of the group. They wandered around my apartment. And the strange thing is that I couldn't see me anywhere in the apartment. And all these people were in my apartment. And, and then I looked and I saw that I was in bed. And all these people were all around the apartment doing stuff. And they were in my room. It was really strange. And I was asleep in bed. And I remember my friends coming up to my bed and saying, Matt, Matt, wake up, wake up. And I remember just thinking how strange it was and how out of a place it was that, that I was asleep. It wasn't right. It wasn't good. It wasn't the way it should be. I needed to wake up. And then I remember waking up from the dream in real life and thinking, I, I need to wake up. Not, not out of my physical sleep, but I, I think that was a God-given dream of just in my early 20s, saying I was drifting in places. I was, I was practically, seemingly asleep in my Christian walk. I was drifting. I was sleeping through, surrounded by so many people. And then and the, the dream affected me. I was bothered by it. I knew that I needed to change. And I still need to remember what I believe was really a God-given intent to the dream. He intended for me to be shocked out of my sleep and shocked into action to wake up. And in fact, God was saying to me, Matt, Matt, wake up. Why are you acting like you're still asleep as a Christian when you're not? I've woken you up from the dead. Don't, don't be asleep any longer. And sometimes I think that all of us can live as if we are asleep. Now, as Christians uh, in this passage as well, sleeping is a metaphor for death. Now, he's not saying we're dead, but sometimes we can act as if we are still belonging to that old lifestyle. We can act as if we are asleep in the Christian walk, and we can live. I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but you can live just going through the motions, and you can fail to be distinguishable really from the world around you. 
doesn't mean that change hasn't taken place, but it does mean that we can grow dull. There's a temptation for Christians, Christians back in the time of the book of Ephesus, Christians now. There's a temptation for us to forget what we're all about, to grow dull, to fail to see what we've been called out of and to what we're to live for. So as Christians, we can live at times and slip into old ways of thinking and living that rob us of our passion and dull us of the light that that God has given to us. You ever experienced that? You ever had experienced dullness? You ever experienced lack of passion? At times, it's because we fail to see who He has made us to be, who we are in Him, and the great purpose that He's called us to. And we need to wake up. This is not just a word for those in the time in the book of Ephesus who really were just a few years past the time of Jesus' death, but yet still needed to hear this word. How much more relevant is this word for us today, thousands of years later? We need to constantly remind ourselves, we're not asleep. We're not of those who are sleeping. We have been made light. I imagine the Apostle Paul was even tempted to fall back into his old ways. He wasn't immune to... Temptations that we face either. But you know what I bet sustained the Apostle Paul was that he saw an unforgettable light. You remember the story of the Apostle Paul? He saw a light as he was going to persecute Christians. And it was the light of Jesus Christ and it shined on him and it knocked him off his horse. And I, I think that, that vision, that sight, that not a dream, but that vision of the light of Jesus Christ shining into his dark life i think it transformed him and it informed this passage as well this morning as he encountered the brightness of the light of jesus the apostle paul was changed forever just like each person here who's placed their faith in jesus christ you have encountered the light you need to remember that not forget that be awakened by that paul wrote this part of the letter to the Ephesians after talking about so many great truths and talking about the fact that we've been saved to be a part of God's radical new humanity in Christ, to be a part of His people, His church. And, and I believe he wrote this passage by the Holy Spirit to them, believers like you and me, who were still tempted to live like they used to. And we are tempted to live like we used to, to kind of just fall asleep seemingly, to fail to see who we're called to be, and I believe this passage is here to help us remember who we are and who we are living for. Remember the purpose God's called us to. And I don't know about you, but I need these kind of reminders continually in my life. Because especially in holiday seasons like this, I need reminders of, okay, wait a minute. What's, what's important in life? Who am I called to be in life? What's my focus in life? It's funny that the season that often is supposed to be most often about focusing on Jesus is the season where we really fail to do so the most. I believe the Holy Spirit has some things in mind for us. When in His good plans, He knew we'd be coming to this passage the week after Thanksgiving, the week where we, we filled ourselves with lots of food. And some of us may have lingering regrets from the holiday or maybe feelings of sadness. You ever have those things? Post-holiday sadness, post-holiday regrets of, I wish I hadn't said that to my dad or my friend or my brother. Boy, I didn't quite live the way I thought I should. I wish it had gone different. Maybe some of you have lingering regrets and you, or maybe feelings of sadness. Or maybe you have, you have keen feelings of aloneness. 
Some may be tempted to live like the world in this time and acquire things. You know, it's kind of ironic. Right after Thanksgiving, you have materialism holiday the next day. You know, there's nothing wrong with going shopping, getting good deals. But it is something wrong if we our focus is on filling ourselves up with things that are empty and won't satisfy. And so maybe some experience emptiness because you're not being satisfied in Christ. Others might be looking for something more, even though really if you're a Christian, you found what's most important in texts like this are meant to draw us back. Meant to draw us back to what's most important. Maybe others here may want to give in because you're tired. Life's hard. You feel like you don't have the strength. No matter where you find yourself today, I think that God wants to help you through this passage. He wants to help me through this passage. He wants to help our church through this passage to live as children of light because we are light. It's not live like we're asleep any longer. And so I think the main idea that God has for us, it just comes right from there, is, is don't live like you're still asleep in the dark. Don't live like you're still asleep in the dark. Don't live that way. Wake up. Don't live like you're still asleep in the dark. As children of light, walk in the light and shine on the sleepers. As children of light, walk in the light and shine where? Shine on the sleepers. Shine on those who are truly dead, who are asleep. That's our purpose. We're called to as... Children of light, walk in the light and shine on the sleepers. Don't live like you're still asleep in the dark. And so Paul begins this passage, I don't know if you noticed, with some very unique phraseology. He words it in a unique way. and His language is full of imagery. And he says, look down your Bibles, please, at, at verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can look down with somebody else as well. He says, for at one time you, catch these two words, were darkness. But now you... Now, the two words you need to pay attention to are light. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He doesn't just say at one time we were in darkness. There's a notable absence of some wording here. Paul did that on purpose. He didn't just say you were in darkness, now you're in light. He says, no, it's not just you need to be enlightened. It doesn't just say we were in darkness as if we required that somebody turn the light on. And we'll be fine. As if all that we needed was for us to have the lights flicked on and we'd be okay. No, he doesn't say that you don't just need the lights flicked on so you can see. You were darkness. At your very core, who you were, you were darkness. That's what defines you morally. He wrote that at one time we were darkness. Think about that. What does that mean? It means that our character, our nature, our inner man wasn't just enveloped in darkness, wasn't just enshrouded in darkness, but we were basically and fundamentally dark. At the core of who we were, he's saying, we were darkness. You need to get that. You need to understand that. You need to see that. We were darkness. Our very nature and character was once darkness, even though we might have done some good things, even though people who don't know Jesus may do good deeds or practice philanthropy or care for people. Apart from Jesus Christ, everyone is by nature at the core of their being. What Paul is saying, what the Bible says is darkness. It's a radical idea. It's a different idea, isn't it? If you think about it, if, you, if you've studied history, it's really the first of the four points we're going to look at today is what he's saying to the hearers. And the majority of our time today, by the way, is going to be spent on this first point. So don't worry if we come towards the end of the message like, oh my gosh, we're still on point one. That's okay. It's where the majority of the passage is. So the first point we're going to see from the, de- from the text is that you used to be darkness, but now you're light. So shine. You used to be darkness, 
but that's not who you are. But now you are light. So shine. That's our first point this morning. The so-called age of enlightenment. After the age of enlightenment, I say that so-called age of enlightenment. Because in some ways it was the total reverse of that. Society at large became, came to believe that man was basically good. That, that all man really needed to be enlightened was education. That was what was going to solve things the most. Science and education and understanding, that is what would, would enlighten mankind. And, and so primarily, evil became identified as a lack of education. Supposedly prejudice was due to lack of education. Hatred and crime, all the problems of mankind, they can be solved through education. If people just understood, because they're basically and fundamentally good, all they need is to be taught, and then we'll be okay. So the problem, supposedly, was not that man had evil desires and a corrupted or tainted heart that they flowed from. The problem, supposedly, was that we needed education. We needed to be taught. We needed to be enlightened by knowledge. Surely, in the enlightened age, it seemed for a while in history that Jesus must have gotten it wrong when he said that it's out of the abundance of the heart flow the issues of life. And then surely Jesus must have been mistaken when in Mark seven twenty one he says, for from, pay attention to this, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, we, we learned about last week, theft and murder, and adultery, and coveting, and wickedness, and deceit, and sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from where? From within, and they defile a person. Because a person's dark within, apart from Christ. So until, really, until World War I broke out, most of the modern world of the time believed that our problem was just lack of knowledge and instruction. So if we could enlighten everybody through knowledge and instruction, things would change. But then World War I came along, didn't it? And the world experienced gruesome brutalities of modern trench warfare. In a war that was really sparked by an almost senseless cause. Ambassador Ferdinand was assassinated. An entire world was plunged. Over a relatively, at the time, relatively obscure country in, in Europe... Austria-Hungary, and, and then came Hitler and Mussolini. And wait a minute, Hitler was educated, very well educated. And World War II, we saw the slaughter of millions of people because they weren't of the so-called Aryan race, resulting in almost 34 million deaths in World War II. 15 million of those deaths included the cold-blooded murder of unarmed combatants. Then the world had the regimes of Lenin and then Stalin who killed approximately, and this may be a low estimate from what I was reading, killed approximately 20 million of his own people, not related to any conflict or combat. So much for the age of enlightenment and knowledge changing. Mao Zedong, who deliberately killed 10 million of his own people in cold-blooded murder. More recent times, there was Pol Pot, the Khmer Rouge, Ho Chi Minh, Idi Amin, the last 20 years, Saddam Hussein, ethnic killings in Mozambique, Ethiopia, Nigeria, Bangladesh, the Congo, Sudan, Rwanda, Burundi, the Sudan, and so-called ethnic cleansing brutality and murders of Radovan Karadzic in Bosnia. If you took just the top 32 worst bloodlettings of the world in the 20th century alone, just one century, top, just top 32 bloodlettings in the world alone, it would, be, it would amount to the killing of, at a low estimate, of at least 174 million people 
I think the modern age has cast some serious doubt on the premise that man is basically good and just in need of education. And so many of those who committed some of these most heinous mass murders were actually educated people. The problem is not primarily the lack of education or poverty or social opportunity, even though all of those things make the condition of man worse and provide greater temptation to people to sin. It is good to educate. I'm not, we're not anti-education. We're pro-education. Please educate your children, yourself. Please always be learning, but always be looking to Jesus as your hope, not learning as your hope. The problem is that the heart of man on his own, as the Bible says in Jeremiah, it says deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The condition of every man and woman apart from God. And this passage is helping us see, as, as the rest of the Scripture does, the condition of man apart from God is darkness. It's darkness, even if we don't know it. But you see, then Jesus came to change us at the very core of who we are. He came to shine His light to wake us up, to redeem us from darkness and to make us children of light. You see, the Bible tells us that God is light. He Himself is light. He's absolute purity. In Him is no moral darkness, no gray areas. In Him is complete and utter holiness. In Him is light, no darkness at all. And apart from being transformed from darkness into light, we have no ability to fellowship with God. We once were darkness, but now we've been made children of light. Think about the person who's writing this letter to the Ephesians and by the Holy Spirit to us. You see, Paul's conversion and his calling, they're directly related to being a witness to the light of Jesus. In Acts 26, it tells us that the conversion of, of Saul to Paul, the same man who many years later is writing this letter, in, in, in Acts 26... 15 to 18, we, we see a first-hand account. And he says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But, so he didn't condemn him, although Paul deserved condemnation. And Paul knew that as soon as he says, I'm Jesus, you're persecuting. He says, But, rise and stand upon your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose. Here's the purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your, pe- your, your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now listen here. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Yeah, the conversion of Paul had an effect on him. It was the very purpose that God had called him to to help them turn from mankind, turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might... Receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, Jesus called the Apostle Paul to go in witness of him. Why? So that eyes might be opened and so that they might hear and turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, receiving forgiveness in a place among those who are sanctified in Jesus. And Christian, this morning, that's our call too. Don't walk in darkness, walk in light. It's what you're called to. And if you're among those who place your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, in, in Colossians 1.13 it says that God, He has delivered us. Think about the greatest rescue mission movies you've ever seen. This is far greater. God delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. He plucked you out of a domain, a rule of darkness, and He transferred you 
into the kingdom of His beloved Son. It says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's transferred you from the domain of darkness that ruled you, that you were unable to get out of on your own. And now you're children of light if you've placed your faith in Him. And so in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6, Paul tells us what we proclaim. And he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, now listen to the theme here, light, let light shine out of darkness. The same God who spoke in creation said, let light shine out of darkness. And light sprang into being. This same God of creation has recreated us, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The good news for you and I this morning is if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you get a heart transplant. Your heart of darkness is removed and you're given a new heart. Ephesians 4, all throughout Ephesians 4, Paul's really talking about that contrast between the old man and the new man, between who we once were, who you now are, that you once were dark, the old self. Now he's called you to be light. Our very lives as Christians have been changed from that of darkness, deceit and evil. And if you look in chapter 4 and 5, especially immorality in this chapter and impurity and into lives of light. See, get this, once you were blind, but now you see. Don't close your eyes to the light. That's what he's saying. You've been changed to the very core of who you are, even though you still need to learn and to live out who you already have been made to be. If my son really enjoys, I'm sure as all 12-year-old boys do, um, Star Wars and the Star Wars trilogy. And I won't let him watch the other ones that I don't include as Star Wars, just the original three because I'm old. But in those original three, um, you see the rise of this young Jedi, Luke Skywalker, and um, he's really just learning who he is. He's learning what his identity is. He's learning who he is. And then and in the second one, he's really learned how to be who he is and who, is, who he was called to be in his lineage and who his father was. And, and it's really about figuring out not who he was, but how do I now live out in light of that fact that I've been called to be a Jedi? Now, it's a bunch of mysticism and garbage in that story, but I think it's a good illustration that he didn't immediately know how to live out life like that. He had to learn as Christians... We are children of light. But we must learn how to actually live that way. We must discern how to apply what the Bible says and live out life. And now that you've been made light, God, the Father of light, He's to be at the center of everything that you do. No longer do we live futile lives for ourselves, looking for purpose in what we can do or get or the people... Or who people think we are. You ever, you ever live for those purposes? You ever live for what you can get? What you can do? What you can accomplish? You ever live for what other people think about you? No longer are we to live that way. That's living as if we're asleep. But now we're to live as children of light, realizing that our very purpose revolves around our Father God and being His light in the world and so Paul tells us we're all as children of light. In fact, in John 3, 21, Jesus said, he says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God walking as children of light. It's walking in the truth or walking 
out the truth. Walking in light, it's walking honestly, it's, it's living a life of love, it's walking in such a way that our deeds are the deeds of light, those deeds that reveal Christ in us and show others what we are hoping and who we are hoping in. We've seen in Ephesians 4, just a chapter earlier, walking in light is walking in honesty, it's walking in integrity. It's living like a lighthouse that, that shows the way to safety, that shines through the foggy confusion of the world around us, that claims that there's more than one way to God. See, that's a foggy view. That's, there's, there's darkness in that. And so we're to shine like lights and say, no, there is a way to, G- to God through Jesus. And it's the only way, and He can make you alive. He can make you light and shed all of your doubts, all of your darkness, all of your fears. Living like lighthouses is saying, no, you can't achieve a higher state through self-denial or good works. But you can see the light of Jesus. We've been brought into the kingdom of light. Why? To shine the light of Jesus all around us. Then in verse 9, look down in your Bibles again. And Paul tells us what the fruit of living in the life looks like. He says, the fruit of living in the light, it looks like goodness and righteousness and truth. See, all those who belong to the kingdom of light will bear good fruit. The fruits of our Father who is light. And these things, they point back to what Paul has really already talked about earlier in Ephesians. And he's driving home That the life in Christ, it it makes a difference. If you are a Christian, your life should evidence it. If you are a Christian, you have a reason for being. You have a purpose and it's to shine as His light. Life in Christ is a changed life. It's meant to be a radically different life. There's a radical difference. If I were to go off, I thought about it, but these lights take forever to heat up, so I'm not going to do that. I was going to do that. If you cut these lights off and I shined a flashlight through the room, you would see the radical contrast between the darkness and the ray of light. That's how we're called to live. We're no longer to live as darkness. We're to live as light. There's to be a distinctive difference between us. In Ephesians 2.10, he talked about earlier why we were created. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are His, speaking of God's, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. You see, God brought us into His kingdom of light. He recreated us in Jesus Christ for good works. He prepared those good works for you, for me, so that we might walk in them. Remember, though, that it's not those good works that make you children of light. That's, that's not, you don't become children of light through good works. No, you have become children of light, so walk in it. Remember, just before in verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians, right before verse 10, 8, 9, then 10, talks about God preparing good works for us to walk in. Look in verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2. It says, For by grace, for what? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Even this faith is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We were saved by grace through faith, and that too is a gift from God. No amount of works of salvation or walking in the light can save us, but the fruit of light, the fruit of our conversion, is that we will bear the fruits of goodness and righteousness and truth. 
So the fruit of living as God's child is it, it's born in, in, in goodness and generosity. Just like God's goodness in the Bible is described often as God is good, He's generous, He's kind. We're in the same way, be that way. He says the fruit of light is found in all that is righteousness and truth. And these, these things are only things that God brings about in us, but they're at the same time, here's the mystery of the Christian life, God brings those things about in us, but yet we're called to walk out in them. And how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we live as children of light? How do we walk this way? Well, he says in verse 10, he tells us, I'm going to paraphrase it really, it forms the second point that we can see from our text today, and that's, that's really live as light. Live as light by. Live as light by always seeking what is pleasing to the Lord Live as light by. How do we live this way? How do we live as children of light? How do we do that? We live as children of light by always seeking what's pleasing to the Lord. It says in verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord or try to learn what does it look like to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Life doesn't come with a step-by-step instruction manual. Sometimes I wish it did. It would be great sometimes. But it would be boring too. If your whole life had instructions was mapped out, then where's the experience? Where's the learning? Where's the process? Where's the joy? But sometimes we want those manuals, don't we? We want a manual that says, this is the job that you need to get. Right here, this job with this company. That's your destiny. We want to have a manual that says, these are the people you should befriend. This is the person you should date or not date. This is the person you should marry or not marry. But that is not what the Christian walk's all about. So often, we act like it is. These are the clothes that Christians must wear or Christians should not wear. We want a manual for those things and people have created manuals for those things. That's not what the Christian walk is all about. People have created manuals that say, this is the music you must listen to. And what's raging across the internet in Christian circles today is all this talk about is can, can rap music glorify God or not? Well, it's just ridiculous looking to create a manual for what kind of music we're to listen to instead of saying, God, how do we live in a discerning way that honors you in everything that we do, regardless of the style, regardless of the, the style of clothes, the style of music, or our background, or our culture? How do we live in a way that's pleasing to you, God? Not a way that we, we're looking to check off a box because somebody tells us that how, that's how we're supposed to live. Living by a set of legalistic rules and regulations. You see, we, we can pray that God gives us wisdom in every detail of life. But sometimes we pray as if God would tell us what color to wear on a Sunday morning. God, what's the color of the day? Lord, please tell me what's the color of the day. It's checks. Okay, Lord, thank you. It's multicolors. That's not how we're to live our lives. You see, um, and then at the same time, when he says try to find out what's pleasing to the Lord, try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, it's not as if God's hiding his will from you. And you've got to try to figure it out because it's hidden. You don't know what that will is. And so God says, hey, try to figure out what's pleasing to me, <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to frustrate you. But sometimes that's how we act as Christians, as if God's trying to frustrate us by not giving us all that we need for life and godliness like he said he's done. 
God's not a crazy parent that says, I'm only going to reward you if you do what I want, but I won't tell you what I want. You have to figure it out on your own. No, the God's not like that. That's not what that means when he says, try to discern, try to learn what it is to be pleasing to the Lord. You see, God has said to you, to everyone in this room, he says, I offer you eternal life that's already paid for. I offer you forgiveness that's free to you but costs my son's life. I offer my spirit and my very life within you. Now come, be washed, be clean, come, be made new. And then God gives us His very words of life. And He says, now, because I've made you new, because I'm pleased with you as I am with my own son, learn from me what it looks like to live in a manner that is pleasing that I've shown you in my word. That's what it means when it says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It means in light of who God's revealed in Holy Scripture, in light of who He's shown that we are to be, apply that now to our interactions in our daily lives. How do we interact with somebody in a way that's pleasing? Well, we can know that we're not to be angry. Now you have to use discernment and think, okay, when I raised my voice just then, was I angry? Yeah, I was. Okay, that's not pleasing to the Lord. God's already giving everything he needs, we need in the Bible as holy, inerrant, inspired words. So notice Paul doesn't say that we're to walk as children of the light. He doesn't say by figuring out everything that we need to do, by living out a set of ten steps that will lead to greatness. This isn't five ways to live an extraordinary life. This isn't steps how to become a better you. Those are some titles from popular Christian books out there. 64 Ways that you can improve your life. <laughs> Christian life is not to be, meant to be lived that way. It's meant to be lived daily, walking in the light, saying, Lord, how can I honor you in all my ways because you've revealed what it looks like to honor you. Now how can I apply that? Because God wants us to learn. He wants us to grow as creatures. He doesn't want us to be automatons, robots following rules. But there's something else in there where he says, try to learn. Paul, Paul is saying that it's, it's going to take some trying. It's going to take some trying. It's going to take some effort. And sometimes you're going to fail. Try to means you're probably going to fail sometimes. But it's to be our constant, constant effort to seek to learn. What does it look like to live in a way that's pleasing to God? Try to discern what, what good is in your life. Try to discern what is right. Try to discern what is true. It's like learning to play a musical instrument. You can learn to play the cello by learning music theory and maybe finger placements on the strings and playing note by note. Maybe you follow along slowly and painfully and you draw your bow across the strings much to the pain of all those who hear you. But you can learn that way. But maybe then, after much practice, you get to the place where you're able to play each and every note written just, I mean, just as it's written. And you play the cello piece flawlessly, just like it's written on the paper. And you're watching every note, and you're playing every note. And that's good, but that's not a great musician. Those musicians are a dime a dozen. Even though it takes a lot of work to get to that place, that's not what it looks like to be free as a musician, to be and a beautiful musician to create wonderful music like Yo-Yo Ma or other, other cello players who just, or have you seen the piano guys on the internet, they just create these wonderful tunes and there's freedom. And, and how does that come? 
Well, see, the goal is, is not to just get to the place where you look at the written music to play the song, and, but the goal is to be able to say, you know what? It's become such a part of me. I've learned, I've discerned how do I play this. And now I can play it with freedom and abandon and improvise beautifully and make it my own. And so playing like that, it takes much practice, doesn't it? Often through years and years of practice. In fact, if you want freedom in playing the instrument, I have to practice again and again and again until it becomes almost second nature. And then if you leave it for a while, you're rusty and you're no good anymore like me. I used to play the drums. I would be awful now. I did it for years. I was decent. I'm horrible now because I've left it behind. I've, 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 I've lost practice. I, I don't understand how to, to do the same way. I think it's in my head, but I don't know how to carry that out. And so in the Christian walk, this is what is intended when we're told to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. It's not that we figure out the notes on the page, but we're to play them so we can learn how to live this way in freedom so that our lives shine like beacons and you'll shine brighter and your life will be more beautiful and draw more glory to God and be more free if you're learning continually. Lord, what does it look like to live discerning? I need to practice this. I need to practice this. I need to practice this. Why? Because we want to be free. We want to shine brighter and be more glorious. The Bible does contain everything we need to know to be able to discern what's pleasing to God. You can examine your life and your actions and your speech and your behavior and evaluate whether or not we're pleasing to God. And I think we need to do that. That's why we have passages like this. See, where are you sleeping? Where are you acting like you're asleep? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your work ethic? Is it, are you lying? Are you telling the truth? Are you living greedily or generously? Are you loving your children or your spouse, your friends, your co-workers, your siblings, or are you pleasing God in those relationships? It's not out of condemnation, but so that you are more free to shine when out of practice you learn what does it look like to live in a manner that's pleasing to God in all these relationships. And that's what Paul has been talking about really in all of Ephesians 4 is what does it look like to practically live out life in the church in, in a way that's pleasing to God. He's not been giving us a list of do's and don'ts. He's been showing us what does it look like to discern between the things that belong to the old man and darkness and the things that belong to the new self living as children of light. He's not saying you have to have it all figured out. He is saying, though, as children of light, we're called to live in a discerning way that seeks to please our Lord who has rescued us because we once were darkness, now we're children of light. So now walk in the light means living in light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus and seeking to grow as a disciple individually and together as a church in every situation. Our goal, our very goal is to be discerned. Lord, how can I live in a manner as pleasing to you as worship because we were darkness, now we're children of light? Lord, how can I shine for you? And he's called us to shine like stars in the heavens. This isn't a set of legalistic things to do. Paul doesn't give us a list of how to be the perfect Christian. But living this way, trying to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, it will guide us to know what to do and not to do as children of light because we've been made as children. Look, look at verse 11 as well. Look down in your Bibles again. He says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. What we need to take away from this very direct verse, what our third point is, straight from this verse, is really simple. It's, it's don't live like those who are still asleep in the darkness of death. See, sleep is a euphemism for death. Don't live like you are asleep. Don't live like those who are still asleep. Take no part in their unfruitful works. If you are a children of light, it's not appropriate for you to act like you are in darkness still. We're to take no part, it says, in the same unfruitful works that others who are in darkness do. This means we, we don't live to impress other people any longer. This means we don't live to get things to acquire. This means that we don't live to get status or role. This means we don't live for all these other empty things that don't fulfill us and that actually lull us into sleep. As Christians, we were to wake up. Don't live like you're asleep in the darkness of death. Don't live for the same things the world around you does for money or position as a measure of success. We aren't to live craving things or craving sex, craving relationships to fulfill or satisfy. These are all unfruitful works of darkness. Don't live craving the approval of somebody else in your life. Living in the light, it produces these good fruits of righteousness and goodness and truth. While living in the darkness, it's, it's, it's a contrast here. It produces unfruitful works. Instead of that, we're to do the opposite. He says expose them. So what does it mean? What does it mean to expose? What does it mean to expose the works of darkness? Does it mean that we're to somehow convince people who are engaged in those activities they're wrong and show them as evil for all to see that somehow we show up, look how evil all these people are in the world. Is that what it's talking about when it says expose them? Well, it can be good to speak out against evil and we're called to do that when it's wise. But in this context, I believe it, mean, it means that we live shining like lights like a light exposes the darkness by shining, so that when others see the good, right, and true way that we live, it's going to expose the works of darkness as fruitless in comparison. It's going to be exposing to others their own hearts as we shine the light of hope in Jesus Christ. It's going to expose the fruitless deeds for just how fruitless they really are. If you're living in your community, in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood as light... It's going to expose darkness if you're living that way. Christians live that way. It means we love our spouses. It means we parent. We're, we're to love our neighbors, to obey our teachers, to be respectful at work, to be diligent, to be faithful, to be generous. And it means that we live in such a way that it's evident that to live otherwise is fruit, unfruitful. And then he gives us a reason where to take no part in these unfruitful works. It's found in verse 12. Look down at verse 12. It says, For it is, why should you not live that way? Why? Because it is shameful. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. The things that are done in secret are so evil, Paul is saying, it's shameful even to speak of them, much less do them. And if you're doing those things, you need to get out of that and turn to Jesus and say, God, I want to walk in the light as you are in the light. I want to have fellowship with you. And trust that the blood of your Son will cleanse me from all unrighteousness and enable me to live in a way that's pleasing to you, not to earn, but in worship to you. 
So Paul here is condemning all kinds of acts done in secret. But most likely, if you remember from verses 1 through 7 of chapter 5, he's just concluded talking about sexual immorality and impurity. And So most likely when he's talking about evil acts done in secret, he's referring to the depravity of these shameful acts without detailing them. Ephesians knew what these secret acts were that those around them did. They probably once participated in them themselves. You know what these shameful things are that are done in secret. They knew what went on in the name of performing acts for their so-called goddess Diana. But instead of dignifying that shameful acts done in secret, Paul says, don't live like this. Live in such a way that's above reproach. Live in such a way that if your deeds were exposed to the light of day, you would have no need to be ashamed. A workman who is rightly dividing, as, as Timothy tells us, the word of truth, rightly applying the word of truth to your life. And here's the effect, the fourth point. The effect of living this way, it enables those around us to see the nature of our deeds and the futile way of living. It becomes visible for what it really is. And so the first, the final thing we're going to see briefly, it's to being called to respond to this text. It's just simply this. Let your light be a beacon. Fourth point, let your light be a beacon to light the way for those who still sleep. Light exposes darkness. He's given us a calling as Christians. It's not to be inward focused. It's to be shining like a beacon. But if you are not aware of your identity in Christ, being disciples, if you're not aware, if you're not pursuing growth in Jesus Christ, growing as disciples, then you will be unable to go and make disciples. All of these things are linked together in Ephesians. It's beautiful. And they all have to do with our effectiveness of shining the light for those who still sleep. As a kid, the neighborhood that I lived in in, in, in Winchester, Virginia, it was this, um, this, this cool part of the neighborhood real close by, a couple blocks away. And, and every Christmas, they would just go extreme. I loved it with all the lights and decorations. And, and every house had lights and every tree in the front yard had lights on it. And they did something else unique in the midst. It was especially shown on dark nights. They would take these white wax-coated baker's bags. I don't know if you've ever seen those before. And they'd fill them up about this far with sand and they'd stick a candle in there and, and they'd light the way all along the paths and all along the side, the curbs of the streets and the walkways. It would light the way. And it was beautiful. And then after we'd go through the whole neighborhood, it would take forever to get through because the entire city would come to this one little neighborhood, our neighborhood, and it would go slowly through looking at the lights and the little baker's bags and stuff. And then after you go through that, you can go up on this hill up above the, the neighborhood and you would look down and you'd see this just light that's showing the path, showing the way. It was, it was a really beautiful, cool experience. And wish that they did that here. Maybe somebody can start that or something in your neighborhood. But it was great because these lights, they stood out. When you got up there, these lights, they stood out against the darkness. And they didn't have to be huge. It was just a small a bunch of these small lights and these small bags, individual candles and these little bags. But man, they shone and they, they pointed the way. They showed where the roads and the paths were and where to go. And it was, it was a thing of beauty and they shone out in the darkness. And there was a simple beauty just a shining. You see, light shines, it illuminates. That's what it does. You're, you are light. It doesn't say you're called to be light, you're in light. No, you are light. If you have placed your faith, your hope in Jesus Christ, He's taken you out of darkness, He's made you light. Now be light. 
Light shows the way. There doesn't have to be a spectacular display in order to stand out. Light just needs to shine in darkness and it stands out in stark contrast. There used to be a tunnel that I would play in when I was a kid. I probably shouldn't have played in the tunnel when I was a kid. They were, they were constructing underground drainage pipes across the city and it was miles long. And so we got down in the tunnel and, and we would go and it was pitch black and we would see how long we could go. We could go for about a mile with no light whatsoever. But about a mile and a half, uh, this tunnel stretch was, about the end of the tunnel, you could see this teeny little pin prick of light. It was the other end of the tunnel. And it, and it lit your path from about half a mile out. And you could see this little pinprick, and you just kind of ran towards it, and you hope you didn't stumble over something on the way. Um, it, 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 was, it, was, it was such a contrast in the middle of darkness. It lit the way. And then you came out, and it, and it felt like you'd been in a submarine for years or something. And you go, oh, the light is so blinding. It exposed the deeds of darkness. As believers, if you live in the light, it exposes the deeds of darkness. If we live in purity and goodness and righteousness and the truth, it provides a stark contrast to the world around us. Who you are in private makes a difference to who you will be able to be in public. And those in the world around us will be able to see the fruitless way of their living and turn to see the light of Christ Jesus in us. So as we walk in the light, we expose the darkness. We make visible the light. And so Christ transforms the world around us and causes unbelievers to see His light in us. And so look in verse 14 as we close. It says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Our actions, our behavior, our speech, our life as children of light is the function to reveal Christ through walking in the lights of those who are dead. Those who are asleep will rise from the dead and Christ shine on them. Your life makes a difference. Each individual small light. Some of you may be sleeping with the world around you or acting like you were asleep. God says, wake up, don't live like that. I've called you for a higher thing. I've called you for a greater purpose. I've called you to be light. You are light now. Shine. Wake up. Don't act like you're asleep. Don't live in the gray areas of life. Don't be comfortable living in the shadows. Come out from living on the fringe. Stop living blending in. Stop living trying to fit in the world around you. Don't live like everybody else and walk in love. Don't live like you're asleep. Wake up. You may be a little candle, but you make a big difference in lighting the way in this world. You're children of light. We don't belong to darkness any longer. Instead of being influenced or corrupted by the world, shine like the light of Jesus. Instead of blending in, using gray speech, muddled behavior, living impurely, He calls us to a radical new way of living. We have a great purpose. We have a great commission. See, God intends for us to shine. Maybe you've not been shining. Maybe you've not been living that way. This is not to condemn. It's to say, live who you are. Repent. Now live as children of light. How? Discern what's pleasing to Him. And walk in light as children of light. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, that Your Word illuminates our hearts. It exposes those areas of sin. God, thank You that You have transformed the very nature of all those who place their faith, their trust, their hope in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins from darkness to light. God, I pray for each and every person here who still remains in darkness, who remains darkness morally. 
I pray that, Lord, you would shine your light, just like you shined your light in the Apostle Paul's life and, and made him alive to you, God. I pray that you would make alive those who are dark, Lord, that this would be a defining moment. God, I pray for each and every one of us here that as we go out from here and go preparing for the Christmas holidays, that we would be, we would be aware of living in a way that's pleasing to you as worship to you because we've been made children of light. So I pray, Lord, you would enable us to shine and to see the glorious purpose you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.